unsilent death. This is Spinal Tap. This is Off the List. everyone to off the list you're hearing us recording in that low morning voice because we're recording early before work because now both of us are working adults working gals yes no longer vagabonds but this is the podcast where nadira and i two working gals we just cross things off of our list outside of our working world because that's how much we love media and content. I'm Ben. I provide the music. That's Nadira. She provides all the movies. Hello. And this week we have a very non-early recording type style with Nails on Silent Death. And this is Spinal Tap. But you know what? Who doesn't love driving to work in the morning and just realizing the impending doom of the world and just throwing on a death metal album? Yes. So with that in mind, let's just start right into Nails on Silent Death. This is a death metal project, and I refuse to acknowledge all of the sub-genre names that death metal gives their bands because they want to feel special, <laughs> like... Actually, I'm just going to list them. Yeah, I was about to say, please list them because I'm unfamiliar. So, for example, when you go on their Wikipedia, um, they are death metal. But what is also there is power violence, grindcore, crust punk, D-beat. And this all usually stems from... punk. (laughs) Yes. Y'all are dirty. What is Mm -hmm. that? (laughs) I was with it. I was with it until... Crust punk? Ew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it usually has to do mainly with um, the style of drumming. That is kind of like where they kind of name it off of. Wow. Like when they have like that blast beat where the drum comes in, it's just like, bah, 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 bah. Mm-hmm. they have that kind of is how they like name um, specific styles off of that because of, there's so many variations to bah, 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 versus like, bah, 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 bah. right. So, got it. Got it. Got it. Um, <laughs> but. Regardless, Nails are a death metal crust punk band from Oxnard, California. Not them being from Oxnard, home of Anderson Peck. I'm fucking crying. No. Just like change it into a Silk Sonic. Right. Like what? (laughs) I was like, y'all from Oxnard? Um, These niggas from Oxnard. I'm crying. (laughs) And they were formed in 2009 by Todd Jones. And like every metal band, their respective members are a part of 30 other metal bands that you have never heard of. And these guys really live the scene. And when I mean that, I mean that this was their studio out al- their first studio album in 2010 on silent death. And they grew to fame in the most probably like organic way. Post internet was just that their shows were just, known as being just absolutely insane and ridiculous to attend Mm -hmm. because they only put out a thousand copies of their debut album like if you go when you look on this album on spotify it says like 10 year release because it just wasn't available to stream until 2020 wow and 
that's the way that they exist. Like they really don't do interviews. They just like cancel their tours constantly. Um, and are just like, like they, they're always like giving for quotes to media where it's like, we have no plans to play live or record ever again. And then three years later, another album shows up. <laughs> like they are just really live in the scene. And, you know, as a person I and as a musician, I find it a little bit hard often to differentiate between death metal songs because to me it all just sounds like a wall that is falling on top of me. And this is the first death metal album I listened to because um, I don't know how, but I found some illegal stem of it while I was in high school because it was not streaming. <laughs> and I was listening to it and I was like, this wall is falling on me and I'm asking for another wall behind it. Like I wish that there was like a demolition crew that just was like having a continuous wall follow me. And that's what this is just for 22 minutes. I am having a demolition crew drop buildings on me and I'm a big fan of it. But Nadira, what did you think? How, how are you feeling about Todd and the crew? Right. Um, okay. Todd, if 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 they listen if i ever went to one of their concerts and then went backstage and they're like hey i'm todd i'd be like what the fuck is going on <laughs> your name needs to be like dark eagle or something like why yeah. why are you doing mm-hmm. this um you know i really enjoyed his strong enjoyed his strong <laughs> but i had a fun time listening to this i must say i listened to it a few times and i was like you know what this is this is fun like i'm it's i mean it's not supposed to be fun because it's like about death whatever but like this is cool i'd listen to this in a specific mood i listened to this at work though and was like Mm. probably not the best move maybe i should wait till (laughs) i'm home um you know i was re-listening to it driving through traffic and i definitely started breaking laws instantly yes yes (laughs) (laughs) okay but here's here's the thing i think it's it's hard to talk about for many reasons one because for me it is just very much like sounds like your quintessential death metal band you know what i mean so it's like what Mm -hmm. adjectives can i possibly speak about this that aren't exactly what you would imagine as me talking about any death metal band right it's just like kind of fitting the like textbook mold um so in terms of what it's giving i'd say it's giving headache but (laughs) i'm into it i literally it literally gave me a headache and i literally didn't care i was like this is a journey and i'm strapped in I'm I'm here for this journey, and it was a quick journey, and I appreciated that. It was a 22-minute yeah. journey. It was a very intense mm-hmm. journey, but it only took 22 minutes, and they was not fucking with my time, which is my money, and so therefore... <laughs> That's how long their live shows are, too. They, like, what? show up for, like, 20, 30 minutes. How much, are they, how much do the these beats. tickets cost? I'm sure they're, like, a normal ticket. Mm-hmm. But it's, like it's a show where kind of everything is worked up to the frenzy of the moment where they show up and then it's just insanity for 30 minutes I'm terrified. and then it disappears. I'd have they to don't... be in some like balcony yeah. somewhere. I'd have no, to be by I... the door. <laughs> yeah. And they, so they have like become kind of <clears throat> the new torchbearer for death metal. And I figured that it would be a good reference point for you to hear this sound represented by a modern band because i think that 
you know, going back to death metal of the 80s, at some point it became so assimilated with rock radio that all of us have heard some of the tracks and the songs associated with it. And I thought it was always fascinating to hear where death metal was currently and realize like, oh, wow, it's kind of hit this like stagnant form where you can really trace its roots so easily and it's still really fun and easy to listen to and but now they have this like desire to make the album so short and just as intense as possible and then be in and out and the people who do it are really just dedicated to the scene because the scene has kind of dissolved so much from its heyday Mm. does death metal is like one of the defining characteristics of death metals that the songs are about death. Is that like, cause to be honest, I didn't know what the fuck they were saying. I was cool with it though. I was like, I'm not looking this mm-hmm. up. I'm vibing. <laughs> no, I mean the, the lyrical theme does not specifically have to be about okay, death. Just there, are, there are, there are death metal bands, for example, that talk a ton about like science fiction and the, it's more about the, deep growling vocals the distortion the really high emphasis on the drum being just like full throttle the entire time um and time signature changes chromatic chord progressions like all of those things are kind of yeah what like signifies death metal more than them just like talking about actual death death. right okay that makes sense i'm only laughing because i'm looking up I'm, like, going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole right now of the different genres and, like, bands that are in Mm -hmm. genres. Because, so what's fun about this is I'm actually a pretty big fan of metal music. Not in the sense that I've sought it out, but bands, metal bands that I do already know, I do really enjoy. Like, who doesn't love Pantera? You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. what's fun about this is, like, you can go through the whole rabbit hole of the different genres that you were saying because there's like 15 different names for death metal and see what yes. bands and some of these bands i'm like oh i've heard of this band but i'm like have i heard of this band or is this assortment of words just mm-hmm. like a very like plausible assortment of words that my brain could have made up if someone yep. was like make up a death metal band name <laughs> like yep, agoraphobic they're... nosebleed i'm like now that sounds familiar <laughs> but is my brain just but... like no that's what you think a death metal band name would yeah say. Yeah, it's like, have you been watching too much Corpse Out? Exactly. (laughs) Which, the answer is always yes. Is yes. (laughs) Yeah, I really feel like, I mean, there's a a death metal band name generator online, and it is phenomenal. And there is just like, it's such an interesting study in a genre and how when it, decides to gatekeep the way that it does is through those genres and through those kind of like heavy specified ideas Mm -hmm. of like what they're specifically doing like because the genre became so just common within the rock scene it was the only way these bands felt they could survive was to differentiate even the most minor differences in their sound Mm -hmm. but it, it has kind of in some ways over time slowly killed the atmosphere i mean there's a reason why you go to death metal shows now and there's only a handful of people at them often um because the genre has really struggled the only honestly the only sub genre that has like still gets a lot of people for some reason is norwegian death metal and black metal but there is a lot of sus things to be concerned about that scene mm. 
It yeah, is. none of that is surprising, to be completely honest. Yeah, it's kind of a... This is a little bit unrelated, but it's kind of a safe haven for white supremacy, unfortunately. You know, <laughs> it's not... Like... It's not that many steps. You don't have to roll the dice that hard mm. to get from what is seemingly like the energy that is cultivated at death metal shows and like a very, very sus white supremacy death metal environment. Yeah. Like it's, they're not that far apart. They're actually very close. Yeah. We are always, we're and always for, riding yeah. the line. But the same way that, mm-hmm. and this is to be like, you know, historically, whatever, people can throw stones at me, whatever, but it's true. But it's the same way that like, like, old school hip hop and like hip hop in general is like rides the line really close between like cultivating and culture of misogyny. Like these are very, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like only a white supremacy thing. Like the, these are just issues with like music cultures <laughs> that are very, mm-hmm. you know, we're always close to that. We're always close to that toxic thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say that part of the reason metal especially has, struggled and died out is because people are off put by the fact that oftentimes the bands don't do much Mm. to push that scene away Mm. um because they live like the full like anarchist aesthetic where they just feel like it's weird to like make a statement on it right where they like don't want to pressure anyone into doing anything they're just like hey man we just make mm -hmm. music yeah we are planning on never playing or recording again (laughs) (laughs) jk we're broke let's put another album yeah exactly have you looked at the spotify picture for these guys yes yes i have yeah it's very okay do you want to quickly before we move on talk about the album cover yes (laughs) (laughs) ben why don't you describe what the what the album cover is well um they hit this they have like a very specific typography for their name nails and it is in the top like in white um and then the rest of the thing is black and white with a really really old i'm gonna guess some kind of like ginkgo tree and um there is you know just casually the silhouette of a body being hung from it you know nothing crazy or anything yeah um I don't really I have I will say this I I'm pretty thorough about like checking out bands and making sure that they're not like racist and uh, everything um about nails that they have said which admittedly is not a lot to the media suggests to me that they don't fuck with that scene at all um Yeah, I don't it's one of those things where I was like now I'm pretty certain that they don't mean this to be taken in like the historic way but at the same time to have this imagery to have it like silhouetted you know no details it's just like black against white background mm-hmm. um but like to have that imagery and have it silhouetted where it is just the imagery it's like eh, this can really only allude to one thing and it's like most base form you know which is yes. a very me way of looking at it but yeah, I was like, hmm, okay, guys, okay. I mean, I think it's the, like, epitome of this incredibly white genre 
that they yes. probably didn't, didn't even, even think about realize it. Yeah. that it was alluding and that to me that. was very clear like looking at this i'm like oh you guys didn't even think about this did you like yeah. i was like I, I'm they not... were just like this is fucking hardcore man yeah there was no point where i was like oh how dare they whatever whatever i'm like you guys didn't think about this did you yeah yeah <laughs> you know again it's one of those things that's hard to talk about without falling into the just pitfalls of like they could be talking about any death metal band right now you know what i mean um mm-hmm. but i did actually really enjoy this it did give me a headache i didn't mind it was fun i was like actually into it i, w- I listened to it a few times you know it's these are all good things i would much prefer to listen to this than um swans yes i I so wanted to block that out of my memory that I forgot what their name was. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. would prefer to listen to this than Swans, hands down, any day. Um, and it was just really cool. Like, there are some really fun, interesting moments musically in it. Like, I really liked all of the songs. But I specifically liked the song that was, like, the longest. The one that's, like, three and a half minutes. Yes. Um, yeah, 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 I know because they just they actually go through a really long progression and yeah. a really good story. Yeah, it was. On that yeah, track. it was really cool. Like I was like, oh, this song is so good. I, I was into it, man. Yeah, I think that I always recommend this album mostly because I think it's a refinement of what death metal is, just with such clean production, really great aesthetic choices on all the front in terms of the music. Um, obviously, we talked about that right. whatever. and. Then generally just such a really fantastic attention to detail with their playing and truly, like you said, really not wasting my time getting in, getting out and giving me what I asked for. Mm -hmm. They really are just like, you want death metal? Here's 20 minutes of pure concentrate death metal. Right. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Moving on to... What is low-key one of my favorite movies? Um, This is Spinal Tap. It's from 1984. It was directed and written, asterisk on that, on the written part. We'll get back to that later. It was directed and written by Rob Reiner, who, you know, has directed all of, like, Rob Reiner is a goat. He's directed Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men. Like, you know, his portfolio is, like, all over the place, which I really appreciate. It's starring... For the most part, Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer, um, who are all in a whole bunch of other things. Funnily enough, they're all American, which really always, like, yes. makes me giggle. Because their accents are... It's Everything about this is so pitch perfect. Anyway, This is Spinal Tap is a mockumentary film, a mock-rockumentary film, <laughs> about a fictional English heavy metal band called Spinal Tap. Um and it's basically like the plot of the film is there's a documentarian in quotes Marty DeBergi who is played by Rob Reiner who is following this fictional metal band as they embark on their 1982 American tour for their new album Smell the Glove it is (laughs) a comedy but for the most part it's satire of both like smartly both the behavior of metal bands and rock bands themselves like the self-canonization of rock bands themselves and the way these like rock documentaries and these music documentaries kind of like treat them as gods and like put them up on a pedestal there's actually a really fun word on wikipedia um hagiographic which i'd never heard of but it basically Mm. is like a hagiograph is like a tale about a religious like 
leader or like a religious a really important prominent figure in like religion or some sort of like spiritual sense so hagiographic tendencies of these rock documentaries so some important things to note about the film um the music because plays a very important part was actually written and performed by guest mckeon and sheer which is mm-hmm. dope and i think you can kind of tell which is really cool yes um <laughs> the script so virtually all of the dialogue in this film is improvised actors were given like outlines for what they wanted to happen and like beginning and end like information to just to avoid contradictions and kind of keep some semblance of plot going but everything came from the actors so much so that they tried to use the first take as often as they could just to capture natural reactions and Rob Reiner, because of this, wanted to make the entire cast listed and credited as writers, but the Writers Guild objected. So only him, Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer are, are listed as writers. But he, it really was like everyone of, that was a part I, of this film. I was curious when I saw the tra- like the credits. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense yes, now. Yes, yeah. Um, over 100 hours of footage was filmed for this, and it took three editors to complete the film. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a cult classic but it was never actually panned you know like it was just kind of like considered like mid but then it like grew a following you know it was considered like good but then it grew a following Mm -hmm. and now it's considered like one of the best comedies and one of the best satires of all time it's credited for starting the genre of the mockumentary um it's critically acclaimed now it's like you know even like library of congress national film registry has been like this is a movie that needs to be preserved um it's got a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert, the Roger Ebert, when he was still alive, gave it four out of four stars. It's very, like, it convinced so many people that Spinal Tap was a real band that they actually did, like, release music and tour. Like, it's so insane. Um, and the response from musicians, like, not to keep just giving a preface of it, but it, there's just so much lore about this film that I love. Um, and a part of it is the response from actual musicians. So there's, like, this Nirvana anecdote where um, I think Kurt Cobain in an interview says something like movies about like rock bands are never good. And then Dave Grohl says, except spinal tap. And then they're both like, yeah, no, that movie's incredible. (laughs) Um, The guitarist of U2 said that when he first saw it, he didn't laugh. He cried because it summed up the sort of like brainless world that big label rock music had become. You know, there's all like, there's so many different like music artists and rock artists who have talked about how, how formative this movie was from them. And it's become such a touchstone that it's like a verb now or it's an adjective now so if you're a part of a band that has had many drummers over (laughs) like a period of time then that's like very spinal tap if you are a band that like got an early start playing on an air force base then that's very spinal tap if you've ever been given like a two-word review then that's very spinal tap you know all the jokes in the film have become like adjectives for real life situations that musicians go through. And my favorite tidbit of all, my favorite tidbit of all is that the running gag about needing a new drummer, like having so many different drummers inspired JK Rowling in writing Harry Potter and is where she got the idea to have different defense against the dark arts professors every year. No way. Yes. No way. That's, that's, I'm I'm kind of upset right now. <laughs> like this like, movie I... <laughs> is so pervasive and so influential, like to levels that you could never even imagine. Um, with that being said, I also think 
that it wouldn't surprise me if people didn't like it because it's so close to real. It is so close to real. Like, it's such a perfect satire in the way that, like, if you didn't know this was satire, you'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? I hate this. You know what I mean? Um, So... I've said some words about how I feel on it. I've said a lot of words about how the world feels about it. How do you feel about this movie, Ben? The second I they opened their mouth and I heard that terrible British accent, I was immediately sold on what was happening. And yeah. I think, you know, you know what's weird is I kind of spent less of the movie laughing and more of the movie going, oh, so that's where that came from. Yeah. Which, because... I, I really was just stunned at the pervasiveness with the jokes. I mean, like, the amp up to 11. The, yeah, the turn up the, to 11 is the most famous joke mm-hmm, from the thing. Yeah. That and then them getting lost under yes, the stage. That's, I, I was like, just about to say, oh, my God, that was my th- – I laughed <laughs> so hard when they got lost underneath a, the stage. I couldn't handle list. it. Okay, first of all, I think that was – um that's reported to be inspired by a video of Tom Petty who got lost like under the stage before a concert. <laughs> there are so many artists just on the Wikipedia list who are like, yeah, that's happened to me. Like you should just read the list of artists who are like, I've been lost on like under the stage before. It's so, mm-hmm. yeah, so that, that was really incredible. Um, I, I will say, I don't think it's like a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination yeah. because sometimes I think that they, go for dry and real so hard that you kind of are like lulled to sleep in the dialogue um like you are in like a real life interview like it was which i don't think is a fault i think that makes the film even more perfect to be completely honest yeah i for me i think that i was just like so I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not this. Like I knew it was a mockumentary, but like it's just so dry. It's so they're, so they're, real. So there were moments where they would be definitely in, like telling a lot of jokes and when they were asking questions, but I just was so tuned out because I was just like hearing a rock band talk about themselves. Yeah. In that way, where you just like. You never want to hear about it. Again, happens. It's so real. I think yes. that's the thing I love about yeah. this movie is that it's so close to being real. Like, it is actually what satire, like, the purest form of satire, where it's like, this is a stone's throw away from being the real thing, so much so that it can be off-putting because it is a stone's throw away from being yeah. the real thing. Which, and again, I understand why that's off-putting to some people. Like, I understand why that would, like, throw someone out of it or, like why you wouldn't see that as, I don't know, something that you enjoyed about the film, but as someone who really, really appreciates when satire is done properly because it's so fucking hard to do, it's I, this film is like a crash course on how to make a perfect mock film. I Yes, I don't get me wrong. I really, really enjoyed it. I spent most of the film laughing a lot, and, and so I guess they, my one... Like... <laughs> yeah, I guess my one question is... Do you think that they were like in really deep reverence of the genre while making this? Like, do you think they're all like huge rock fans, or do you think that they are taking the piss out of a genre that is just so easy to take a piss out of? It depends, and I don't think that there's one answer for all of them. I'm unsure about the actors, we would have to theorize on that, and I do have a few theories. But Rob Reiner did like prep for this, you know, like, like mm-hmm. he went to go see Judas Priest, and like he went to go see, you know, like all of these. Um, performers and bands and was so overtaken by 
their presence, I think, that he really wanted to make this happen. With that being said, this film, if I'm not mistaken, started off as a sketch for Mm -hmm. a TV pilot that never came to be. And so I think maybe when they were when it was in its sketch stage it might have been more just taking the piss but at the same time these are real musicians like they yeah, have actually clearly. played these songs and wrote this music i don't think you could write this music without having an appreciation for this genre you know what i mean mm-hmm. now what i do think they are taking the piss out of 100% is the artists themselves like the sort of self important yeah view that they have in themselves the way they canonize themselves as gods you know i think that they're 100 percent taking the piss out of that but in terms of like the art form i think there's god you can't like satirize something this well without there being a seed of like real understanding and love you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah completely and my <laughs> god what an ingenious like there's so much metaphor associated with them getting a stonehenge only 18 inches tall apparently it might have been aerosmith but apparently when steven tyler saw it he was like he did not think it was funny at all because when it was released aerosmith had a cover of or a head stonehenge on one of their album covers that had like oh my god which makes it so much better that okay it's so much better that someone took something that was definitely not about them in the genre and made it self-important about them like are they making fun of us like no dude they're not and i think what's so funny is that like again it's just another like proof of it being so close to real where it's like of course they make this joke and then of course it actually happens you know like Mm -hmm. of course this is something that like actually happens in the genre because it's just pitch perfect but that part is so phenomenal i do just want to give a quick shout out before we just because i think the rest of this is just best served um by being just like talking about our favorite moments but mm-hmm. um i i just want to give a quick shout out to fran drescher <laughs> she plays like bobby fleckman um she plays like the I, th- I forget what her actual title is but she's like one of their like managers on the recording side like on the label side and she was the one who like hosted the party who was like you guys can't have fucking like the- would they describe the album <laughs> the album cover anyway mm-hmm. i won't do it yeah but she was like yeah, yeah. She oh was my like, god it's so funny she was like, you can't have it of course it's sexist or whatever that's fran drescher and she is in one of my favorite sitcoms of all time the nanny and i'm re-watching it now and in season five i think she brings that character back to the show like bobby fleckman oh. is in the nanny of course it's still her playing her but yeah mm-hmm. it's like she like plays it's like a double cast like ha 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 this character looks so much like me you know episode yeah. but it's yeah. so funny because i was like oh my god this is bobby fuckman like i've already been introduced to this character and i totally forgot that this character was in this film that i love and it was just so much fun and she again is so good every single small person who has a performance is so good the cab driver <laughs> <laughs> so good um even dana carvey and um billy crystal are in the film as mime like dancers and servers at that party yeah which is so because it's like dana carvey and billy crystal and people still thought that the film was real like they were still like oh this documentary about this band like it's so it's so well done um (laughs) no i just yeah i think i just think this movie is great and i think it is fun on so many different levels one just being like the sheer lore behind it you know it's just so fun to read about the film even like Mm -hmm. beyond just watching it i think they did 
a great job. And I also think, you know, it's, it's a film that started a whole movement that started a whole genre of mockumentaries, which is like, I don't, I honestly, earnestly don't think you get even found footage horror films without mockumentaries. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like there's so the, the play on the documentary form is such an integral form of cinema to me. Like it's where a lot of sort of just like, anti-statements are made it's where a lot of satire comes from it's where a lot of um hollywood is actually called out in its hypocrisy you know like even if you think about spoofs in general it's they're very much like um the working class like anarchist form of filmmaking even though they're very much not that like even though they're very much backed by studios and everything it's the whole point of them is pointing out the hypocrisies of the stereotypes in films that we are all consuming and i think this is one of the first films to do a mockumentary like that and to kind of say like yeah the the way that we're positioning these people in society is quite fucked up and like the, the way that we canonize them is quite dumb because mm-hmm. they are ridiculous and and that says a lot about them but it also says a lot about us because we're making these films and we're eating it up and i think it, you know it works the film just works on so many levels and i appreciate it for that but i also completely understand if someone was like this film just isn't for me man so we are i was telling nadira that you know i've entered my running up that hill phase of my life yeah and when I said that, I was like, how have we not done Kate Bush? How have we not done Kate Bush? Yeah. And, and I, don't, I feel like I don't even need to, like, introduce or talk to her in this outro. Like, she's Kate motherfucking Bush. Big boys, 1A artist. <laughs> like, we're listening to Hounds of Love. We're listening to Running Up That Hill. It's it's happening. That's That's the album next week. But Kate motherfucking Bush. Yes. I. It's really funny because you asked me about this um... – during um we were standing in line for a concert and you're like you've listened to all of like kate bush right and i was like i've listened to some songs and you were like oh (laughs) (laughs) oh um so yeah to be honest did not prep for this did not do any research for this but i feel like when i think of kate bush and this could be wrong and i'm so ready to be like wrong on record i think of love and Mm -hmm. i really want to give us a love film, a film about love, a romance that isn't your general American, like down the road romance. And I've really been wanting to introduce this director and his films on this podcast since we started. We're going to be watching Chongqing Express by Wong Kar Wai. And oh. I don't want to give it any more preface other than Wong Kar Wai is like, known as one of the most influential like non-american like f- i don't want to say foreign because it, it's you know that's i hate the way that, uh, that it's word oscar is, vibe yeah yeah i hate the way that word is used in like hollywood but like i can't think of another word from it for it right now but like foreign director um mm-hmm. just of all time like his movies are I mean, I think if you really like films, his movies will blow your mind. And I'm excited for that to be something that we experience 
together. Um, so Chungking Express, the 1994 film by Wong Kar Wai, is your assignment. It will not be the last Wong Kar Wai film I assign you. I can promise you that. But okay. I'm Sick. so excited for us to talk about this. Like this cool. is like I, a top list of like top five films that I really, really wanted to talk about. It's up there. It's in the top five. Wow. Yeah. I I will be honest. I don't know who this is. So I'm just psyched. And that makes it so much better. That makes it so mm-hmm. much better. I'm so excited. Oh, we're gonna have such a loving episode. <laughs> I think that that's been death metal soundly off the list. Yes. Yes. That is. Um. It is This is Spinal Tap and Unsilent Death. See, because I always forget the album title by the Mm -hmm. end. I don't know why. But Unsilent Death and This is Spinal Tap, firmly off the list. Gonna be honest, if you're in for that type of vibe, should be off yours too. Throw it on. Have some Mm -hmm. fun. Do it to it. Exactly. Both are fun in very different ways. Very different (laughs) ways. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. We got to go to work. (laughs) <laughs> that should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. <laughs>